0: Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Madon, and today on Streams of Progress, I'm joined by Isa Arabi, Investment Officer for IFC heading venture capital in the MENAP region. During the discussion, we covered how he got started in the VC space and how he has seen the venture capital scene evolve in the region since then. So join us as we dive into the conversation. Today we're sitting with Isa Arabi, who heads venture capital at IFC. We'll get into what IFC is. Before we get into that, who are you, Isa? I've been in the
1: venture capital space for pretty much most of my career, uh, both from an operational perspective, uh, funds perspective, direct funds, or, you know, even corporate venture vehicles. did some consulting for a while, but pretty much an investor in
0: the venture capital space for the last 15 years. And how did you get into this space? Like, if we go back to your education, My let's education. Say. Or where did you grow up? So I was born and raised in Amman, Jordan. That's
1: That's where home is. That's where my family is. Uh, I moved to Canada for a short period of time of my life there, did my education there, my bachelor's degree, and then came back to Jordan. And that's where the story started. So, you know, young person out of university, no clue what you want to do, got an internship at a bank. So I'm like, ooh, you know, why not? It's a great opportunity. Although I wanted to live in Canada and stay there, went back home to Jordan, did that internship at um, HSBC back then for a few years and was really good at it, but realized that it wasn't really something I enjoyed doing in the sense of, you know, selling bank products, doing customer service, stellar job, you know, very good and rewarding, but it wasn't something I was passionate about. So from there moved into the investment banking space, you know, back then, honestly, any person with some money was, any person with basic capital was making a lot of money. It was the boom, People investing in likes of Amar, various listed property uh, equities. Uh, you're making a lot of money then. Uh, so it was a great time. You know, bought a nice little small car, you know, loved it. But again, it, was, it wasn't really what I enjoyed doing. And that's where I got into the venture capital space. You know, I was at a dinner party and met this individual called Dr. Fawaz Zuhabi. And for me, one of the pioneers in the venture capital space. And I I really owe it to him in terms of, you know, my career where it got because of that introduction or that dinner party. So he was talking about launching a venture vehicle. Just as background, Fawaz, Dr. Fawaz was a minister in Jordan who left the ministry and started a venture capital fund called Accelerator Technology Holdings. That was around 2006, 2008. And it was really one of the first venture capital funds in the Middle East. There was no one else doing that. That's not true, actually. There were a few, one or two other small plays. The most prominent one was in Egypt. But really, we were one of the first pioneers in that space. So it's like, Isa, you know, I'm launching the venture space. You know, he knew, he knew me from, you know, family, friends and whatnot. And he's like, would you like to join? I'm like, let me check out what this VC business is all about. Went home, researched it, you know, and I thought this is very interesting. And, oh uh, behold, you know, started uh, with Accelerator Technology Holdings, ATH for short, uh, and did that for a few years. And that's, you know, how the journey in venture capital started. Just for clarity, you know, I think ATH went through a few changes. Their most recent brand now that they operate under is Silicon Badia.
0: I think people know Silicon Badia. That's the end, right?
1: That's how I started. And honestly, you know, uh, it was great. It was great. Uh, you know, I was... Young, had no idea what this is. Just like how entrepreneurs are figuring their way, we were figuring out our way back then. So, uh, And your role usually when it comes to a fund or early stage fund or a startup really is you do everything. So we were trying to figure out, you know, how do we get deal flow in a market that didn't know what venture capital is? How do you invest in startups? How do you value businesses? You know, if there are no startups, how do you create them or help, you know, incentivize entrepreneurs to become entrepreneurs how do you do portfolio management, you know, exits. So it was really, really a learning curve. And, you know, we learned, you know, you know, along the way, there was a lot of good bets, a lot of bad bets. We had a sub product under ATH called Ivy Holdings that was focusing on early stage investments. I was working with an individual called Emil Kubesi back then. Uh, Khaled Talhouni, who you guys probably know from WAMDA also was part of the team. So really, it was, you know, I think it's going to be sound surreal, but one of the birthplace, or you know, one of the oh, what's the word? Wasn't the of catalyst? The, yeah, was it that one a catalyst for the VC ecosystem and really for me to realize I love this space, I really enjoy what I do, and I want to do this for the rest of my life. So that you know, that is a long answer to a short question, yeah. right? How did you get into VC? It was uh, you know, Doctor Fawaz over dinner party. Telling me, you know, mentioned the word VC and me, you know, and then you looked it up. Looked yeah. it up. <laughs> so I was, I was lucky enough. Unlike most parts of the world where you work as an entrepreneur, have a few success stories to get into VC, I was no. I was, I was recruited to start early on in a commercial fund and grow from there. Yeah.
0: Well, it was really early on back yeah. then. Yeah. And just because of the name, I have to ask Accelerator Technology Holdings. Yeah. Right. So, was the investment thesis to look for tech-based startups, or was it?
1: So it was. So, IV Holdings, the brand,
0: was predominantly focused on tech,
1: but uh, accelerator was doing TMT in general. You know, Fawaz coming from the ministry, his background really helped fuel that. So we were doing. We've invested in you know companies like Giran back in the day, Shufi TV, uh, Conservice. A lot of these businesses may not exist now. Uh, Sidway uh, we did a radio station so that was you know outlier there but Sidway was a you know OTP tech based uh, play uh, we did companies like Rubicon which was the number one animation studio in the Middle East for the longest time so it was you know really opportunistic it was a small 40 to 45 million dollar fund all mainly from a high net worth individuals and family offices and a few international corporates but uh, yeah so tech Media telecom, I would
0: say, was the. So it was a bit remote. broad. In it terms was broad. Of the thesis, what yeah. you guys were looking for.
1: Yeah. Again, it's a function of our pipeline, right? And there wasn't much out there. So we had to be flexible in terms of what
0: we looked at. And is that the first exposure you had to the fund side of things?
1: Yes. So that was one of the few actually privately managed funds that I was working for. From there, maybe just to quickly, you know, shift pace, I was uh, contacted by 2454 uh, to. You know, back then they were looking to launch, you know, a big, you know, two people know what 2450, four fifty or if not, you can check it out. But it's a free zone in Abu Dhabi. Uh, in Abu Dhabi looking to support and create a media and content ecosystem uh, with technology supporting it. They wanted to launch a venture practice, a corporate venture practice that was looking to attract entrepreneurs from all over the world to be based out of Abu Dhabi and grow uh, and build that community so that was a there was a few conversations back and forth there and i decided to make that move to abu dhabi i saw the uae becoming really a pioneer in that space a pioneer in, in in the venture space and i thought you know one financially you get paid a lot better in the uae than you are in jordan uh two the upside was was interesting and significant and three you know the budgets and and the, the appetite to invest in this space was so high and so it well, so significant rather that, uh, you know, it got me really excited that we can actually single-handedly change and help establish, you know, a proper venture space in the Middle East. And that was around 2010, and then that made the move. And there we focused on similar, mainly early stage investment across the value chain. So what that means in terms of sector focus, media was the core, but... 2454, two four exactly. Is media. Yeah. But really, what is, what is media? Media could be anything and everything. You know, it's an e-commerce portal media, it's media linked, so we were very flexible in that definition uh, because we wanted to attract good people to Abu Dhabi and the UAE. Uh, so we were very flexible on that. And then we needed to did that for around three years, and then from there moved. I wanted to go solo, uh, or actually not go. So I wanted to figure out what my next move was. So I did this six months consulting gig for Yahoo. It was right around you know a few years after the M- Mactube mm-hmm. acquisition. Uh, they were hungry to start acquiring businesses. They wanted someone to help shape their m a strategy as well as their uh, startup entrepreneur or startup business development activities. So what they did there is you know Yahoo back then is a portal, and that portal had sections so rather than running their sections themselves, they were powering it by partnering with the likes of property finder uh, Dubizzle, whatever uh, section it is. so I helped shape that strategy for six months. Uh, put the M and A uh, strategy in place. Unfortunately, around that time, it was the same time Yahoo was going through a lot of changes. Marissa Mayer came along, and pretty much everything was put on hold till they figure out what their global ambitions were and how they wanted to grow the Middle East or if they wanted to grow the Middle East. I
0: don't think they ever figured that
1: out. Well, no, because I did that for six months. Honestly, I saw it hitting a brick wall. Not from a negative perspective, but it just I didn't see the MENA being a key focus area for them anymore. And um, you know, thank God since then they shut down and I didn't renew my contract or that gig with them. From there, maybe moving forward, I reached out to every contact of mine called Rashid Al-Balla. He was running a company called N2V. N2V, also one of the pioneers in the Middle East. So for the lack of better word explanation, they are the rocket internet of the Middle East back then. Uh, They don't exist at the same capacity right now, but what they did is they created that layer of support and that layer of support, that could help them create uh, businesses across the value chain. So I came in as the head of investments and business development. I was really also supporting the CEO with a lot of different things. So it was really, you know, we are helping, helping him run the show there. We had a great team based in Dubai, Saudi and Jordan, so I lived on a plane. And that role is where I got more operational, starting to launch businesses and startups. And we did very well. Like We had a number of businesses. So, for example, OneCard, one of the first fintech businesses in the Middle East, based out of Saudi, Egypt, and a few other countries, was under our umbrella. Uh, There also was uh, World, the biggest forum site in the Middle East, focusing on conservative topics. Uh, There was NetAdvantage, which is a company that digital advertising sales, we launched a business called E-Commerce C, which was a factory really that pumped out e-commerce businesses, focusing women, children, perfume, cosmetics, you name it. But that was really, really ahead of its time. So we grew that business and we grew it, I think we were at some point 200 people across the region and still early days in the VC ecosystem. Uh, and honestly, if Rashid and n did what they did now, I think they will be dominating the space in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but I think it was ahead of its time. So what we decided towards the end of that period is transform this into a holding company, keep the properties and the assets under management there, continue to grow. They were independent. Uh, we downsized the operation. We did have an investment coming in, a massive investment when I joined that was signed for. But unfortunately, the investor never... Uh, transferred the money really so that was very unfortunate because if he did um, i'm telling you this company will be leading the space we're very entrepreneur friendly Uh, we are very good at what we did Uh, and honestly the people who graduated from n2v are one of you know for both even accelerator and n2v i think people who graduated from both these entities and even to 454 like i can name names right now who's doing what uh, help build the ecosystem. Just an example, you know, with 2454, myself, Khaled Tenhuni, Omar sati from Dash Ventures, uh, Faisal Haqqi now running Arab Bank's FinTech Venture Arm. Uh, with 2454, me and Khaled as well worked together. Angus who went to do STC Ventures, Iris Capital. With N2V, you know, the names keep going. So, you know, you know, it was great to be part of those journeys that led to, I think, the ecosystem to where it is now. Really following that, and I'll be very quick, 2454 wanted to reignite and grow their investment activities. They brought me back to head the department. So did that for around three, four years as well. But the role there was more uh, broad. So what we did, we invested in, so we had a corporate venture vehicle. We did around 14, 18 investments, few shut down. We've had a couple of successful exits there. Uh, we also ran and launched the first ex- one of the first accelerators in the UAE, and back then was honestly they were doing an amazing job. Flat6 Labs, Abu Dhabi, and we had a strategic partnership arm where we partnered with like CNN, Ubisoft, helped attract them while investing in few of their out uh, you know products. Uh, To build, you know, all around the thesis of we want to build an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And lastly, here I am now at IFC for the past uh, three years. Was that long?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into IFC, I have a few questions about what you just said. Of course. So, Intivi, it was, like you said, a rocket internet model in Mm -hmm. in a way where you were creating these businesses. Yes. Were you also identifying entrepreneurs to run those businesses or was it all run as one corporate?
1: No. So we had entrepreneurs running each uh, business that we had. So we would either it be find the entrepreneur at the earliest days, invest in him and help grow them, acquire or in some cases, uh, greenfield that project from scratch. In many cases. So I was on the NTV level, but I had also many different hats. So, for example, the e-commerce business was growing so quickly. We need someone to step in and do head of sourcing to help the CEO that we hired or partnered with uh, Mazin, who one of the best entrepreneurs you'll come across in Saudi Arabia. So I came in and acted as the head of sourcing for six months till we get that up and running to manage the team of sourcing. for me. And it was such an interesting experience. You know, Saudi Arabia, it was different Saudi Arabia than it is now because Saudi is changing to the positive. Uh, But it was one of the best experiences of my life, you know, being exposed to that culture, understanding how people think, how it's different than places like Jordan. You know, the Middle East is such a unique part of the world. Like, we call ourselves the Middle East, but we're really scattered, right? So many different countries, different cultures, similar, mm-hmm. but different, obviously. And how people come about and how people function uh, is completely different in different geographies. And, and and that was an amazing experience. I made long-lasting friends that I still am in contact with and will continue to work with for the rest of my life, I would say
0: okay so now let's we'll go to IFC IFC what exactly is IFC oof IFC so IFC is it 's funny that you
1: asked that i didn 't know what IFC was till I heard about it
0: <laughs> did they recruit you or did you approach them? Uh no,
1: I actually approached them I applied I heard from a friend uh, really actually I heard about IFC from Wamda, so I was sitting with Khaled and Fadi once I, you know that was around the f- days where Wamda was established. And they mentioned that they're one of their largest LPs uh, was IFC. So I went back home. I'm like, who's this IFC guy? And realized it was an entity. It was a large entity. So IFC, and that's how I have found out about them. So IFC is the private sector investment arm of the World Bank Group. And people may not know that. And I can spend hours explaining what that means. Uh, Best to just open up our website, ifc.org slash vc. I'll give you an idea what that is. But generally, we are a private sector investor that champions emerging market investments all over the world. And to drill down what that means, you know, we traditionally focus on investments in uh, manufacturing, traditional sectors, right? Manufacturing, agricultural services, financial institution, insurance, schools, bridges, dams, you name it, pharma companies we invest in. Uh, it's a hybrid of debt predominantly debt right now uh, and equity-based funding, mainly larger checks, a more traditional type of investing. What the VC team does, we're an outlier, right? We are the, you know, the disruptors of the group, right? IFC is a large entity with, you know, don't quote me on this, with around $75 billion under management, quite a large entity investing all over the world. So we have offices in pretty much every emerging country. We work directly with governments, we work directly with the private sector, and honestly, Really investing for good, investing to develop an impact. So, what the venture team does is we focus on the venture capital asset class in two buckets. And the first bucket, so rather than in two buckets, maybe I'll explain what and how we think about things. Yeah. So, we like to address the entrepreneurial journey from idea to growth capital. We we'll try to be as comprehensive as we can. We do that in two buckets the direct and what indirect we call. Let me start with the indirect. Direct is fund of fund investments. So what we do there is we try to hit the entrepreneur at the idea early stage level up to the series A, to pre B level, let's say. So we invest in funds that address that value chain. So we have a small early stage program called the IFC Startup Catalyst that invests in accelerators early stage funds. And what we've done in MENA, I'll give you the examples here. We've invested in Flat6 Labs in Egypt. We have invested in Iptikar Capital in Ramallah. And we are in the process of doing a couple more across the region. And that addresses the country-specific early-stage programs that help build the entrepreneurs. From there, we invest in the funds. We're usually like Pan-Mina-based funds, so we have a number of them. We are in Algebra Capital in Egypt, so that's not the best one because that's Egypt-focused, not Pan-Mina. We are in Wamda, and we are in Beko as well. Uh, So those are the type of funds that we invest in. From there, as the entrepreneurs mature and get to that really series B growth stage capital level, that's where we come in and we come in and help. We come in directly and invest in those entrepreneurs, entrepreneur to any venture capital fund. So what that means, series B, growth stage capital, companies are a bit more mature, looking for money to scale. So that is usually checks of five plus million dollars as part of the round. We will make exceptions and go below that on a case-by-case basis, but really depends on the sector and what value we can bring in.
0: And those are equity-based? So, yes,
1: everything's equity-based. Well, LP investments are LP investments, but, you know, they're treated as equity. But, uh, yes, those are equity-based or quasi-equity, whatever you want to call it. But generally, cash, percentage of the business. And
0: uh, going (laughs) back to what you were saying, the purpose behind uh, investing in these emerging markets. So are the... The types of startups that these funds are investing in—is that something you have to align with? What their thesis is, if that's what they're looking for, if it's healthcare, education, of all these other. So I think the first question we always ask, because we're a commercial investor
1: in the private sector, you know, what are we going to make money? You know, that is very important. You know, you don't want to invest in failing businesses, right? You know, the, your money is going to be wasted. So I think that's the first question. The second question: What is the developmental impact? So what is this bringing to? the ecosystems that we're investing in? Are you creating job? Are you uh, financial inclusions? What are you bringing to the ecosystems that you're in? So that is the second question that we look at. And that is very, very important and to our DNA. So for example, when you invest in funds, these funds are going to invest in many companies, create employment, the type of businesses they invest in, the strategy behind. It. So this is very, very important and what we look at. If it's just a pure commercial fund investing in Assets that are not very relevant to creating any meaningful developmental impact, we're not going to look at it. And the third question we look at, and it's very important additionality. So, what are we bringing to the table? We're not, we don't only want to invest in companies and funds for the sake of investing, and yes, developmental is very important, but what do we bring to the table? How can we help these funds? Can we deploy more capital? Can we help them leverage more fundraising? Can we help bring professional corporate governance to their uh, to the table? So these are big questions that we ask. So yes, we are a commercial investor, but we're also an impact investor. And one core thing to look at, we only invest in emerging markets or companies and funds that serve emerging markets. That is
0: core to our DNA. And this sounds a bit like this word we hear about nowadays, like impact investing. Would you consider what you do in a way, impact investing, where you're looking for multiplier effect to the ecosystem.
1: I think in a way it is. It is definitely an impact investing. Actually, it's funny that you say that three, four days ago, we were at this C3 event with HSBC about impact investing and put us on a panel there that talked about this exact topic. Really, I think... Venture capital in its nature, especially in emerging markets, such as the Middle East. So I oversee just maybe to clarify the Middle East, North Africa and Pakistan. Those are the geographies mean I cover. With the mean yeah. Yeah. We do. Turkey sometimes falls under our belt, depends on uh, uh, the load that we have as a team. But we do have people covering other geographies as well. But going back to that question, I think venture capital in, in its nature is impactful, right? You are investing in entrepreneurs at the beginning of their life. You have, are helping create businesses. You are helping create employment. You are solving you know, problems that are regional and relevant, regional issues addressed by entrepreneurs. And this is really what I love, and I love to do that. I love to find good people. I love to invest in good people. I love investing in good businesses that really you know, solve problems. And I think the multiplier effect is, is massive. And I think take Souk as an example, one of the investments that we did on the direct front. You know, how many jobs did Souk create? That exit, you know, how much wealth was distributed across investors and entrepreneurs? How much of that wealth will be reinvested in the ecosystem? You know, Maktoub as an example. Look at Samih and Hussam, what they did with their money. They launched Jabbar, and they started investing right, left, and center, uh, creating good. Look at what Fadi did what, with, with Aramex. So I think that, for me, is, is really uh, the exciting part, and that's the impact. And honestly, one of the reasons I joined IFC is to help create those markets, invest in those funds, uh, help establish it. Look at Ibtikar and the amazing stuff they're doing uh, in Ramallah. So they are a small venture fund, $10 million, around 10 to $12 million, focusing on early-stage tech Palestinian entrepreneurs. You know, the work they're doing, forget commercially, because obviously we only invest in commercial businesses, the impact that they're driving, the opportunities, the employment. You know, this is all part of that thesis, right?
0: So coming back to IFC and what stated on the website, it says something about uh, the three P's, the role of private-public partnerships. And I think this is what you were hinting at earlier, how you're helping governments yeah. address these developments within their own country through partnerships with private entities. How does it work? How does the so, IFC get involved? There? So that's
1: a good question. And I may not be the best person to answer that, but I'll, I'll, I'll allude to what that means, right? So... Not only do we invest, but we do have a lot of support programs. So we, where we go and partner with governments or government or public sector entities and help, you know, share the knowledge. So we've, we have maybe over 90 to 100 positions globally between funds and direct investments. We've pretty much as an entity hit a unicorn every year for the past 10 years. We are investors in every emerging market out there. So we have a wealth of experience and information that we'd like to share to help ecosystems uh, flourish and emerge. So when it comes to the venture ecosystem, how do we do that? Is We partner with governments and help them solve problems. And how we do that is we provide them with the advisory support that they require, as well as the tools that we have uh, as well as a fundraising potentially, to be able to go to and partner with the private sector to solve those problems. That's one aspect of what we do at IFC. But also, the mother company, or our group, the uh, World Bank Group, there's a lot of government. So this is not the IFC hat. This is the World Bank Group hat. We do partner with a lot of governments to help support them at building these disruptive digital economies, we like to say. Uh, and that could range from everything from financial... You know fintech to you know helping create fund of fund programs. So if you take a look at ISSF in Jordan, the World Bank Group, and I was involved in that project, helped launch this fund of fund play that will invest in the Jordanian ecosystem. Similar things are happening with many other governments and countries in the Middle East. I can't name them, but you'll hear about them in due time. We've also done something similar in Morocco. So these are core markets that you know are hungry. For uh, 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 to create, you know, a sustainable, you know, SME or venture ecosystem, that both the bank and IFC and uh, the collaborative approach that we have as a group helps deliver that mandate. So that's, I, I, you know, you asked about PPP. I answered m- many
0: different things there, but I think that could help uh, uh, shed some light on that. It clarifies what that means. And you just said something about helping these governments deal with technological disruption, or at least. Mm. Maximizing that to help their emerging markets. So is there a specific investment thesis you have going into that when you're uh, assessing uh, whether it's to create a fund of funds? Is there a mission statement that you help them create what they want to do within each country? It's really on a case by case. Sometimes these things are inward
1: driven. Sometimes, you know, you go out and help uh, you help create those uh, those opportunities. But I would say it's in a case by case based on the country that you're looking at. You know, if you take a look at Jordan, as an example, with ISSF, that was a partnership between the World Bank and the Central Bank of Jordan. That's around a hundred million dollar facility spread over a period of time. And the purpose there is and again, we don't run this. There's an entity that runs this. But, you know, if you take a look and you can, everything I say is public knowledge, right? I'm not saying anything private. You can go to the disclosure part of the World Bank and read the document that helped create this initiative. Uh, and everything's in there. But I think Jordan was a pioneer when it comes to the venture ecosystem and, and creating those startups. You know, Oasis 500 when it was established 2010, one of the first and was pumping out companies. A lot of actually the entrepreneurs right now that survived and are doing well have been touched or been involved from Oasis back in the day. So the problem that we had in the ecosystem in Jordan, there was no continuity in funding. So a lot of the companies ended up migrating to other geographies to chase the investment dollar that they needed, as well as the markets. But really, if you take a look at Jordan, you know there's a small market, but a good test market. It's a good market to help establish and run businesses. There's a good back end. There's a good human capital there. Cut the story short. You know the fundamentals are there to help create the ecosystem, but they need the financial support to be able to fund them at the early days. The program here will be able to do that. Either be through direct or indirect investments. That depends on the team and how they manage that process. So that's an example of how that yeah. came to
0: be. And. Is there a long-term goal for these investments? Do all of them have an exit strategy or some idea? At the end, it's a commercial investment. So you're planning to... Yeah, so
1: let me clarify. That Jordan project, this is not an IFC investment. This is a World Bank initiative. So that is an agreement between the bank and the government. So that's separate when it comes to IFC, when we do the funds or the direct. Yeah. So I'll give you an example of a few direct ones that we did. We were in Suk, which we've exited. Fauri in Egypt, the fintech business that we've also partially exited. Directly in the startup, yes. rather than in a fund that goes. Yeah, in. so when I said direct and indirect, the indirect is the funds, and then, then direct is where we come in into the startups. And that's Suk, Fauri, that we announced a few months back. There's a few that we're working on right now, but this is mainly growth stage capital. Yeah. Uh, And what works very well, as you can see, the supply chain or the value chain that I mentioned earlier, idea, funds, IFC, is we tend to co-invest alongside our funds in the ecosystem. So as the companies mature, we keep track of them throughout their lifecycle and we make those decisions there and then. So everything there is commercial. Yeah, we look to exit, we look to make money, recycle that money and invest and keep developing ecosystems along the way.
0: And as you just said, you also co-invest with your fund. So recently, a few months back, uh, the announcement for investing into Vico. Yes. When you invest into the fund itself, Mm -hmm. is it because you like where they're going or their past portfolio performance? Is it based on that? That's a very good question.
1: So I guess the the question that you're asking, let me rephrase that. Maybe you can tell me. How do you invest in funds? Yeah. I've never done that before joining. I've seen that's, that's something I've been doing for the past you know three years now and a good chunk of my job because you have built the ecosystem through investing in these funds. I think it's two questions. I think f- forget legal, forget structuring. These are very standard globally unless you're, you're asking for something, for example, a carry of 70% unheard of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the two fundamental questions, you're investing in people, right? Have they done it? Can they do it? And then you drill down to these two questions. That's not what everyone tells you, but this is how I like to explain it. So have you done it? What is your track record? Do you have a good eye for businesses? Have you invested in good startups? Do you have access to those startups? And from there, what are you planning to do? Does it make sense? Does it address a gap in the ecosystem? Does it address a gap in what we've funded across the value chain? Do you plug in a gap there? And from there, you know everything else is simple, right? I think you know with Becco. Their past investments were very impressive. We've, as IFC and me personally in the past, have looked at a number of them for investment opportunities. And a testament to that, you know, we recently co-invested in one of their opportunities called Visita from Fund One that has now grown to become a leader in their space. Uh, And we've taken that bet, you know, alongside STV and a few other credible investors. Silicon Valley also, you see? It's a very small link, right? We Everyone works together for now. I think that's changing now. Uh, the market is not the same when we started.
0: Once it starts maturing, it starts to look a lot more competitive. Competitive,
1: yes, potentially. And I don't know what the best word to explain it. But I think historically it's been very collaborative and maybe more investor-friendly than entrepreneur-friendly. I think the needle starts shifting for you know fine balance between being investor-friendly while providing some, you know, being, the, the needle's the middle between being investor-friendly and entrepreneur-friendly, I would say. I think there's a lot of money being pumped into the ecosystem. I don't think all of it is there yet, but we're seeing that coming up very quickly, especially in markets like Saudi, Egypt. You know, the landscape is changing. The landscape. So if you ask me what my pipeline was in 2010 versus five years ago versus
0: now, it changes. It keeps changing on an annual basis. So, is there anything else you would like to add about ifc or, or should i move on to about um,
1: you? i think that's a very high level what we do at ifc yeah. you know just for everyone listening you know we do have operations across emerging markets as i mentioned here i'm in dubai we have small team here we have colleagues doing the same out of nigeria for the continent uh, singapore china india mexico and our hq is based in dc so we try to address the world and and what's the great thing? What you know? One thing to add about I've seen this is more philanthropic as opposed to anything else, right? I don't think even philanthropic is the right word, but uh, what I have, what you notice for working such a large entity and that has amazing people. The people we work with here internally are spectacular, very smart, but it's all the same. You know, China versus the Middle East versus India versus Africa. Emerging markets have very similar problems that we're all trying to solve, although in different ways, but we're all similar. So just to drill down on that point, right? See, we have access to information, right, through the funds that we're invested in or the opportunities we look at the world. And that's a great thing. When I look at our opportunity here in the Middle East, we've probably seen a good 10 to 15 others in other markets doing the similar things. You know, for example, in the buses space, you know, if you take a look at MENA, there's like three right now or four operating or growing Uh, The same in Latin America, the same in Africa, the same in India, the same in... So we have access to knowledge and insights that help us make decisions based on that. And what you notice is, you know, the Middle East right now is becoming very good at solving locally relevant problems and solving them in a very unique way that is exportable. So that excites me. And that's one of the things I love about IFC is we have access to that insights and knowledge, and we can draw down conclusions
0: and investment thesis is based on that. And now that you said something about Exportable, I was going to ask, why is the IFC offices of the Middle East based in Dubai? So we have offices in every, ge- uh, in many countries in the Middle
1: East. So we have our largest operations in Egypt. We have offices here in Dubai. I just happen to have been living here. And really, uh, Dubai is a good place to serve the rest of the Middle East, especially if you're, you cover the whole region. We have offices in Jordan, Lebanon, uh, Jerusalem, everywhere. <laughs> Tunis, Morocco, yeah. pretty much every country in the Middle East right now, even Iraq, right? So we're spread. So we don't have one single office. Uh, the largest office, I would say, is in Egypt, followed by the UAE, and then, I don't know, maybe Jordan, and Lebanon, uh, but we're spread out. So there is no headquarters. The UAE is really one of the pioneers or the you know, hubs for entrepreneurship right now uh, to service the rest of the, wide, in the wider region, and it makes complete sense to be out of here to help address wider ecosystem.
0: So we'll move on to you Yeah. about yourself. Issa, Myself. Issa the man. Issa so, the man. <laughs> do you have any role models you look towards either at the beginning of this VC journey you've been on? Was there anyone you look to? Honestly, no one specific because as I mentioned,
1: I stumbled upon this. I think what I look up to are hardworking individuals who have succeeded and have done a lot of good across the process you know uh, so I would name a few regional ones that I love looking at and you know aspire to do what they do you know Fadi and what he's done you know the fact that he launched one of the largest companies in a global business and has taken that money and put his money really where his mouth is and recycled that you know Samih and Hussam and what they're doing with uh, Post Yahoo and Maktoub potentially Ronaldo down the line and you know launching this you know the biggest e-commerce business in the Middle East and how that will uh, you know Translate into helping the ecosystem. So really, I love people who not only build great businesses but also help and support uh, people around them as well.
0: And what does your typical workday look like?
1: Ah, uh, it really depends. But generally, I'm a morning person, so I'd like to get up. I recently started exercising again, so I'm happy with that. Go to the gym in the morning. Come to the office. You know, spend the first part of the day really going through emails replying doing you know basic admin work a few meetings here and there with the entrepreneurs or our investments or our partners and clients so the funds that we're invested in and then i would say towards the end of the day uh, my second day starts because i work a lot with dc in the us so they get up around four or five depends summertime winter time big difference that hour <laughs> mm-hmm. so you start you having these calls catching up with your team discussing global strategy and so on and then you know
0: Uh, repeat so your day starts when what time do you
1: i get up maybe at six six thirty seven sometimes really depends on how lazy or how long the light night before yeah
0: do you have any personal habits that you tend to do that you think is kind of unique to you to yourself
1: Ooh, personal habits i'm a bit ocd right i i you know i love to have you know zero inbox right Everything is filed properly, follow-ups, you know, I, te- I tend to pride myself about that. Uh, personal habits, you know, not habits, more of a thing I do every day, I walk my dog. That for me, uh, you know, I, I alternate with my wife, to be honest with you, I don't take all credit for that. But that helps me, you know, plan my day in my head, think about what I wanna do, or when it's at nighttime, you know, look back at what, what I did, what I accomplished today, and what I need to do from there. So in box zero? Inbox yeah, 0 man. Months. I <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I don't know. Something unique. Let me think. Nothing pops to mind, but I, I you know, I that makes me happy. Just I feel people deserve a response and I try to be as responsive as I can. Even if it's a negative one or telling people that I acknowledge something, I think that's that's only fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also love to help so I do a lot of mentorship. I help a lot of our uh, colleagues in other geographies who are interested in this space. So it's just just for me. When you like what you do, it becomes second nature. That's not an answer to your question, but yeah,
0: but that's an interesting insight. Yeah. How yeah. many days a week is, is it? Five days a week you work. To you have the weekends to yourself? Or I try. You try. I try.
1: But again, when you work in this region, yeah. you know Fridays are workdays somewhere else. So you know. But yes, generally I try to keep weekends. Uh, for myself and I love and I try as much as I can at a certain hour after a certain hour that 's my time uh, that 's me and my wife's time our family uh, that's very important because I think having a proper work life balance is critical uh, and in, especially in hectic industry like this where you're on call 24 seven and you know this phone that you have with you is always pinging I try I fail sometimes but I try and I think that's unique right develop you know Keep work at work. Easier said than done. But, you know, after a certain hour, disconnect. You know, sit, watch a show, have dinner, cook, do grocery, run errands, whatever it is you want to do. Walk the dog. Whatever it is you do, but that's your time. Try to disconnect because I think that's what keeps me sane sometimes. You know, that's what keeps your relationship going. You know, you spend so much time at work doing what you do. I think disconnecting is, is critical. And again, easier said than done, but that's something I try also.
0: So forget the zero inbox. I think this is more like it, right? Disconnecting. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any hobbies you pursue or that you wish to pursue if you don't have any hobbies? I used terms. to play
1: squash. I don't do that as much now because of time. Hobbies. Uh, I watch a lot of TV shows. <laughs> I don't know if that's okay. a hobby. I listen to podcasts. A specific, uh, show? The TV usual show? stuff, you know. Modern family, you know, I just, these help me disconnect as part of, you know, disconnecting. Uh, I love to listen to podcasts. I like to read, not necessarily books, more so articles, content that interests me. I do love going to the beach. I don't know if that's a hobby, but I'm going to put it as one. I love to travel. I I try to do as much of that, especially living in Dubai. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about Dubai is you're pretty much a direct flight, an expensive direct flight anywhere in the world. So I try to uh, maximize that as much as possible. And more recently, and this is a recent hobby, I would say, past three, four months, gym. So doing that's classes. That's a healthy one. That's a healthy yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So I've lost a lot of weight over the past five years. i plateaued for the past six months. And this helps, you know, it makes me happy, actually. You know, I enjoy it. Yeah. I started off doing it every day, but I realized that's you're kidding yourself that way. So I do it a couple of times, three times a week, maybe. <laughs>
0: So actually the next question was about books Like what book do you gift most often But if if it's not a book Are there shows you tend to recommend to people That maybe not TV show but maybe podcasts Maybe yeah. something where you, you feel that By sharing that with someone You're enlightening them Or giving them something new That's
1: a very good question I think from a book I don't have a specific reading habits I read different things Sometimes biography Sometimes politics sometimes. But a book that I You know I read and has resonated a lot with me is uh, Startup Nation. I think everyone in this ecosystem has probably read that and it's about uh, Israel and how they develop the ecosystem and th- that they've developed. And I think there's a lot of lessons learned to see how they've done it. They're part of the, you know they're they're in this region. Uh, so I think if they've managed to succeed, I think this this is you know could be aspiring for us. Uh, that's I think from uh, a book perspective, a podcast I love business wars. That makes me happy. You know, it's, you know, I think the way it's narrated, the way it's put, uh, the way they talk about things, it gets me excited. Um uh, am just looking through my list. There's Kerning Cultures. That's, you know, one of the few in the Middle East that I, you know, I've come across, you know, talking about Middle Eastern stories. Uh, Planet Money. You know, I can go on about podcasts forever, <laughs> right? I, I, there's a few murder ones that are crazy, like Sword and Scale. Oh, my God. And obviously, Streams of Progress is a recent <laughs> one I've started listening to for <laughs> past year. Uh, I think, you know, uh, generally, uh, uh, what is it? The one, the Gimlet podcast. I'm a huge yeah. fan fan. I, I think they have a, a few good ones yeah. there.
0: Well, it's not yeah. just you. Spotify is also a fan yeah. with their recent acquisition. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could post a message on the billboard Sheikh Zayed Road, what would you like people of Dubai or people visiting Dubai to know? A message from ESA. A
1: message from Isa.
0: Not, not corporate, hmm. not, not Just business. Just Isa, right? Yeah, yeah you. Man.
1: Treat others as you'd like to be treated and try to help as many people across the journey. I think, yeah, it's a bit philanthropic, but really what I want to try to say here, like, you know, we're not trying to save lives here, but, you know, everything you do in life has an impact on someone. So try to be as open and as giving as you can to help people around you. So do good while doing good for yourselves. Do, do, do good for others... Okay, let me rephrase. So I would say, do good for others as you would do good for yourself.
0: It's an element of giving back.
1: Yeah, really. It's giving back to people, giving back to economies, giving back to ecosystem, giving back to family. I think in this age and time, we get people get lost in the nitty gritties, the small stuff, and don't look at the big picture and
0: really, you know, what this world and this life's all about. Do you have any moonshot or dream initiative you would like to see the UAE execute? Or even Dubai, because Expo 2020 is coming. Is there anything that you would like to see them attempt to do?
1: Yeah, I think the UAE is a pioneer when it comes to this, a lot of the stuff we do. I think Moonshot, more than one thing. I think put everything entrepreneurship and venture-related in one place where everyone can work together in in a collaborative ecosystem. I think we have a lot of small bubbles or no no bubbles the right word we have a lot of small uh, clusters i think one cluster that we can all work together and knowledge share and work together i think is core i think two would be there's a lot of good people in this country that are very loyal to the country and i think potentially giving them the chance to call this home Long term uh, would be, a, a, you know, a, a goal. And I see. I think this is happening with these ten year visas and whatnot. But I'm thinking moonshot. No,
0: even longer than that. Just made me have a thought how we have Media City, Internet City. If we had an Entrepreneur City, yeah. Well, well let,
1: <laughs> like, look at this. You have Media City. You have Internet City. You have D three. You have, uh, you know, World Trade Center doing stuff. Twenty seventy one. A lot of amazing initiatives. I think let's all just sit together. In one, easier said than done, obviously, yeah. but that's the moonshot, right? Well,
0: it also kind of hints back at what you said—the PPP, or yeah. the public-private partnerships. Because yeah. if you're bringing all these entities together, the only great a things could happen. Exactly. Right? Yeah. What piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self, knowing what you know now, to hmm. yourself? I think uh, trust your gut. You know, honestly,
1: I've trusted my gut with a lot of the things I've done with my life, and I think that's resonated very well. But I also think uh, one piece of advice, personal development. Work a lot more on yourself, not from a financial, not from a career perspective, but really on your mental well-being and your ability to, you know, think constructively, take people's feedback a lot more positively and really working on that element. I think, you know, self-development is core to every human being. And I don't think we do enough of it. You know, we keep thinking about what's next, what do I have to do with my career, with my life, you know, marriage, kids, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think taking a step back and reflecting on what mentally you need to develop you, you as a human being, let's say, uh, is something I would tell myself, I guess, in, when I was 20. It feels such a long time ago now, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was that long. <laughs>
0: yeah, long enough. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom to share with the listeners?
1: Nothing specific. I would say, like, you know, trust your gut. You know, that's something I've mentioned before. I think that's very important. If you f- have strong intuitions about something, follow that intuition. Don't be afraid to get, you know, take that leap of faith. Get unstuck of you know from your ways. And really, like, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself as human beings. You know, we are good people. Uh, that can accomplish great things and unless we try you're not going to be able
0: to succeed where can our listeners go to learn more information about ifc yourself google it no <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. i think for ifc you know ifc.org vc to learn about what we do and how we invest in the various programs that we have uh, myself you know just uh, twitter twitter linkedin I think those are the two ones. Facebook, I would think that's more personal, right? But it (laughs) depends on the culture that you're in. Some countries use Facebook for that. Really just search, right, online. But Twitter is a good place. I'm not very active. I think I would call myself a professional retweeter as opposed to anything else. I do try to put some content out there that I'm interested in, questions. Uh, I did a survey the other day. So I think, yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn are the best ways to do that.
0: And I'll try to respond. I think that's an important concept. It is, it is. Well, thank you for being on the show.
1: No, thank you for having me, and uh, I truly enjoyed this.
0: You can check out this episode's show notes on our website at slash ISA. That's I S S A. We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.